Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Now, uh, we have to have the Lord's Supper quickly. And so I am going to not preach the sermon I preached in the first service, which is on money. Instead, I want you, I want us to go back to, um, and that means it's not going to be on the wall, and so you're going to be dependent on me, but I want to go back to Luke 15. Um, Because um, you remember I read that section when Allie and Anthony were coming to the church this morning. And so I want to keep going because it goes into the story of the prodigal son. Um, So this is God's word and it's eternally true. Now I'm going to start over again but then I'm going to read through the prodigal. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying... Now I want to read that to you so that you get an idea that that's the context for the story of the the prodigal son. That you had grungy people, pierced people people who did drugs, people who slept with one another. You had the dregs of society repenting, and the rich people and the respectable people resenting the fact that God chose the poor. Do you understand that? Does everybody get that, right? And so the rich people and the respectable people are furious. Because what's the point of me living my whole life pure if the grungy people get to come to Jesus and he parties over them and with them and I'm left looking outside looking in. And then Jesus tells this story. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, I will arise and say unto my... Come on, why do you know the song? I will arise and go unto my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. All right, now you you all got it, right? Because you're all musical, right? 
I will arise and go unto my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. It's a song all of us should know. Uh, Come on. Until you all sing, I'm not going to stop. I will arise and go unto my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. One more time. I will arise and go unto my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and will go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. All you stodgy people who won't kiss and won't hug and laugh at me because I do. What did the father do? All right. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before thee, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now, you know, we could end the story there. But, hey, what, what's the story without the elder brother, right? That's what Tim Keller says, right? So let's look at the elder brother. Now, the younger daughter, Kimmy. <laughs> All right. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because... He has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth, with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he, the father, said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. And that's the story of all of us who are members of this church. Every single one of us who's a member here is someone who has suddenly, by God's mercy, had our eyes open to our wickedness. Now you say, oh yeah, your wickedness. And I say, yeah, my wickedness. Uh, You know, I think it was probably encouraging for Anthony and Allie to hear that they're just like Mary Lee and me. Exactly the same. The only thing is, we were not at a church that loved us, and so we didn't get excommunicated. And you could just go through this place, and you could just hear again and again and again of the years we spent in vanity and pride, caring not our Lord was crucified. And they weren't... uh, Most of them were pretty good sins, and good sins are the ones that are done out loud honestly. There aren't many people here who did nasty sins, and those are the kinds that are done by people who hide them and deny them. Most of us lived out loud, and God, in his mercy, you know, and for me, every time I read this, I just think of myself in California. (laughs) It's like... There's no ambiguity. It's not in the box by the door with that one. You know, I was out there in California exactly like this man swapping pigs. And God, in his mercy, uh, he, he took my idols, all the things I lived for. And principally at that time, it was a woman I loved. She was my idol, all right? And so if you go around this church, what you're going to find again and again and again is that the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of God's word, broke this woman, this man, this woman, this man, this woman, this man. And sitting under the preaching of the word, wherever we were, we became aware how wicked we were. And a lot of us got really angry. You remember last week, David Abassar, <laughs> you know, him saying that he walked out of several... No, no, was that... That wasn't David. That was Curtis Cook. Well, of course, Curtis walked out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was used to opera. Opera always ends well, doesn't it? Even the tragedies. Where is Curtis? There he is. And so some of us... It took a long time, and we were very angry against God for calling us sinners. And what I always tell people is, it's okay if it takes you a while to repent, although Scripture says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. But the truth is, God is as merciful to us. You remember what it says in Romans. It says, his kindness, what? leads us to repentance. His kindness, God's kindness, leads us to repentance. And so some of you have been coming here week after week after week and just thinking, well, it can't get worse than this, and then next week it does because you've got Allie and Anthony standing up there, and that doesn't leave you any wiggle room. And then you think, well, next week it'll get better, and then next week somebody will preach on your favorite sin. And this is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. 
God calls you to repentance. <laughs> come on. Come on. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. There's a, there's a bluegrass song I love listening to, and the refrain is, he'll take you in. Come to Jesus, he'll take you in. And really, what you have to worry about with your sin is not Jesus. You have to worry about church people. Because people won't take you in. That's the whole point of this section of Luke, is Jesus just shows that the, the, the church people wouldn't take them in. By God's grace, I want to promise you, we will take you in. We will not judge you. We will be God's mercy to you. Unless you refuse to repent, and then sooner or later we'll divide from you because we don't have room for people that refuse to repent here. It's just, we can't have it. You know, there are two kinds of churches. One where people who repent aren't welcome. And one where the people that don't repent aren't welcome. But I've never known a church where both people who repent and people who don't repent are welcome. Have you? I don't think I've ever seen a church like that. They always end up splitting. <laughs> and so if you have, you listen to this and you see him slopping pigs and you look at your life and you say, you know, I'm slopping pigs. Look at what I've turned my back on. The father of the heavenly lights who is merciful to sinners. And I'm so dead set on proving myself righteous that I, I just can't repent. I have to prove to everybody how righteous I am. And I say, you fool. You utter fool. Because what that ends up doing is that ends up leaving you, the guy that's sitting there looking at Anthony and Allie and saying, they wouldn't baptize them if they knew what kind of people they were. And then I say to you, they're the only kind of people we'll baptize here. We won't baptize you. Now, if that's this church, and you're a sinner, and you arise, and you say to the elders of this church, I'm no longer worthy to be called by Jesus' name. And the elders say, kill the fatted calf. We're going to baptize you and come to the table and eat with us every, every week or every other week. Um, then what's going to happen to you is you're going to realize that God has made a path for you through Jesus Christ to be righteous, and you're going to give up on your own righteousness. Listen, you want to know what postmodernism is? It's everybody parading their righteousness. It's just that the righteousness people parade today is, is so pathetic. It's the righteousness of victimhood. <laughs> you know, I'm a better victim than you are, you know. <laughs> you know, I suffer more than you do. My father was worse than your daddy. You know, it used to be, you know, if anybody said anything negative about our dad, we'd pop him in the nose. But today, we, we want to prove that we have a worse father than they had. That's postmodernism. It's so pathetic. You know, get over it. Your dad's just like every other father. Not better, not worse. Well, all right, Seth, your dad's actually a little bit worse. but <laughs> That's a joke. 
Right, Mike? All right. And so this morning, when you hear the story of the prodigal son, and you see that he came home to his father and said, I'm no longer worthy, and you see the greeting of the father, what you know that God is teaching you about is how God responds to us when we come to him with our sin. Because that's, that's, the, the, that's the architectonics of the story. That's like what the story is pointing to. It's not really talking about money. It's talking about the treasures of the righteousness and the blood of Jesus. And how many of us have trampled on it in our life. We've known that Jesus died to save sinners. And instead of giving ourselves in worship and adoration to Jesus, what we've done is we've said, so I'm going to go deeper into sin. And so finally, we get the, we get the results of our sin, and that those results are broken lives, lost money, wives that hate our guts, children that don't trust us, and I can go on and on and on, right? And so what has our pride gotten us? It's gotten us nothing except misery for us and our loved ones. Right? And right there, God says, there was a certain man who had two sons. And the one whose life was a total mess because of his wickedness said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned and I am no longer worthy to be called by your name. Make me a what? Do you think it really says servant in, in Greek? I don't think it does. I think it says slave. <laughs> Make me a slave. And then how does the father respond? huge party. And so the gospel is that God in his holiness sees you slopping pigs and I don't know what it is for you but you know what it is and he says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And listen you could be 70 years old and slopping pigs. You could be 10 years old and slopping pigs. You could be a woman. I hear tell that women slop pigs. And I'd be certain that men do. Because I'm a man. And your condition, your ethnicity, your race, your language, that doesn't matter. All of us have fallen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus says, come. That's the whole point of the story. And he tells you that if you come to him, that he will kiss you and hug you and party over you. And listen, who cares if the world laughs at you? Do you hear God 
And what is the world compared to God? Remember that Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the Super Bowl? And you say, well, that's stupid. And I say, see, there's your superiority. Why not just get down on the level of every other man in America and live there? That's a little bit of a joke, you know. I mean, Jake is a baseball man, you know. He wouldn't get down with the Colts. You probably don't even care about the Colts, do you? Oh, do you really follow the Colts? Well, that's, that's really, that's lowering yourself, Mr. Baseball. <laughs> Jeff probably doesn't follow the Colts. Oh, what? Yeah, he does what he can to associate with the common man. <laughs> But seriously, you think about the things that people in America take joy in, you know, that, that they bet on Google two months ago, you know, and it's so pathetic compared to God being merciful to us. And I bet if I went around here, I could show you person after person in this room who has repented. And the joy that comes over you when you repent. Because why? Well, because like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, the burden's gone. And finally, you can live at the level of Christians. And it's a very low level because all of us are under the cross. And it's such a relief to be able to live at a low level. You know what a burden it is to have to live on a high level? You know, we can all come down off our high horse and just be simple sinners with Jesus' blood, our righteousness. So that's the meaning of Anthony this morning. Do you want to be like Anthony? Do you want to rise that high up? Speaking spiritually. Or do you want to continue to live down in the grunge, slopping the pigs? You know, I remember the Sunday that Anthony was leaving the church, and he came up to me in the door, and he said to me, is there a, is there a class for membership or something? How, how do I become a member? So th this is this, uh, this dude that uh, Allie has done missionary dating with, you know? <laughs> in a manner of speaking, right? And, and I looked at him and I said, really, you want to become a member? And, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, isn't there something before that? And he said, well, I think so. And his eyes were as clear as day. There was no complication factor in Anthony's eyes. And I said, so does this mean that you're confessing Jesus Christ? You know what he said? You don't mind me telling this, do you, Anthony? He looks at me and he says, well, I think so. <laughs> and so I asked him what had happened. Why don't you just tell him what had happened, dude? It's so much better from you. Come here, tell him what happened. It's a great story. Yeah, 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 let's, let's just come on over and use my mic, right? Or here's a mic. Come on over by me, though. Over here. 
So tell them what happened, because this is a great story. Before I came to Clear Note at all, uh, I was in a band with one other person, and we recorded a little and everything. And he was a pretty good friend, and he was in my wedding. Uh, but uh, he saw what was happening to me through coming here and the way I was starting to feel, which was completely against what he felt. He was actually very anti-Christian, very extremely pagan. But uh, what happened was that I wanted to continue the music project that we had because we hadn't done anything with it. And if he wasn't going to be a part of it, then I was going to take over and write a lot of the music myself and with a friend of mine. But I was going to do something with the Bible. I wanted to make it either the life of Jesus Christ or another great story in the Bible. And he flipped out on me for about a day. We were texting. And what it made me realize was that I think, I think this is one of the most important things I've ever realized is that in your, in your uh, sermons that Christians are persecuted, that no matter what, they are going against the grain of society. And the amount of anger and just like terrible words that came from like a person I thought was a good friend of mine really showed me that it, it really matched up that if, if you believe this way, you're going to be persecuted, which in a way, I can't really explain it, proved to me that God is there and that he works in us. So I lost a good friend, but I gained a lot more. And so what he said was, well, basically, if I'm going to get persecuted, what's the point if I don't confess faith? In other words, the persecution was a confession of faith. It's like sounding biblical. <laughs> and so whatever your sin is this morning that you won't repent, give it to God. Give it to God. If you think your homosexuality is so precious, you'll learn how precious it is. You'll learn. But on the other hand, we have a number of people here who have confessed the sin of homosexuality and now they live in freedom. And you say, oh no, they don't because reparative therapy doesn't work. And I say, baloney. And that I'm being polite. The fact is, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if we have people in this church who used to be greedy and aren't anymore, what's a little homosexuality? You get that. We have people here who have killed their unborn children and have repented and walk by faith. So whatever your sin is, and you say, well, I've already been baptized and repented, so there's no hope for me. And I say, oh, yes, there is. 
The life of a Christian is a life of repentance. The life of a Christian is a life of repentance. That's what the first of Martin Luther's 95 theses are. The first thesis he wrote and then nailed to the door of the church was the life of a Christian is the life of repentance. All right? And so we always repent as Christians. We, every week when we come to this table, how do you think anybody comes to this table? In this life, we have many trials and tribulations. We sin constantly because we're not yet holy as we should be. And so we come to the table and we repent. And sometimes you have to talk to the elders about your sin when you're a Christian, right? How many people in this church, raise your hand, have talked to the elders about your sin as a Christian? Now look around, people. Would you please look around? And so that's okay because the elders are given the privilege of loosing on earth what has been loosed in heaven. Do you know I'm quoting Jesus? He gave that to the officers of the church. And so the elders say, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. It's a wonderful privilege of elders to do that with you. All right, so now I'll stop and we'll eat together. But I ask you, I plead with you, bring your sin to Jesus. Don't make excuses for yourself. Jesus says that when he came home, what? You remember? I got to back up a page. Jesus says, the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And so many of you here this morning are dead and lost. Simply bring your sin to Jesus. Simply bring your sin to Jesus. And you will be living and found. And the whole church will celebrate. Okay.